Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Hey everybody, shalom shalom, welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I am your host, Joe Amar, coming to you all the way from Out of Ashes Ministries in southwest Louisiana, and I want to know, how are you doing today? I uh, hope you're doing well, I hope your week is going well, and uh, that you made it through uh, Hanukkah and the holidays, and that everything is good for you. Uh, it has been a little while uh, since we have had an episode, but we are back, and I want to start a series uh, following our Shabbat teachings, and uh, that I think and I hope that you'll find really helpful uh, and really interesting. So uh, before we get into that, let me just say thanks to everybody who's listening. Uh, if if you're first time listening, thank you so much for being a part, uh, and uh, if it's your, you're a long-time listener, then thank you guys even more. Uh, the biggest compliment is when somebody stops by once, but the bigger compliment is when they come back again. So I uh, hope you guys are all doing well. We are going to do as is our custom, and we are going to ask the Father to bless our time together and bless him for this time together. And then we are going to jump into this week's episode. Avinu Malkinu, our Father and King. Avinu Shabbat our Father in Heaven. We humbly come before you and thank you for this incredible time that we have together each and every podcast and we pray that your blessings would flow and that would be filled with your presence as we try to bear your image in our world Everybody, so we um, are going to start a new series of uh, shows, of podcasts, um, following what we have been doing on Shabbat. So, if you're not aware, uh, this is your first time listening, or uh, you just have tuned in maybe at different times before. Um, I'm the pastor at Out of Ashes Ministries in Southwest Louisiana. And uh, we live stream uh, every Shabbat at 10 a.m. Central. And so please, if this is your first introduction to OAM, um, feel free to stop by uh, on Facebook or on YouTube or our website at outofashesministries.org. Uh, we also have a mobile app that you can check out that we live stream to. So uh, we are on all the places and all the things, uh, not all, but uh, on a on a fair amount of them. So uh, be sure to stop by and uh, and say, hey, if you're looking for a place to fellowship for Shabbat, uh, or maybe you have fellowship and you're looking maybe it's at a different time or whatever, but we would love to have you stop by uh, and say, hey, and join us for one of our Shabbat services. But we have been, uh, in the last several weeks, uh, we have been going through a series that I'm calling the kind of working title is, What Do You Want? Um and this has come out of the last couple of years of some really deep searching and 
uh, I wouldn't say turmoil. Turmoil is a strong word, but uh, just some some work that Hashem has been doing in my life. And uh, so I have been trying to teach some things around the edges of this, and I, I think I'm finally kind of starting to get in the groove and understand what's going on. And so I hope it is is helpful. Uh, this series began as a uh, a discussion on observance, and it has turned into a series on identity. And we will get to observance uh, eventually, but we have to take a we have to go through the identity process first and talk about that. So. Uh, that's where we are right now. So if you're interested in that, just jump in on. We're on, I think this last week was uh, part six. Uh, but I would encourage you guys to listen along with this. And if you find this interesting, then uh, check out the teachings. Because even though I'm using basically the same notes and things, um, it is different, you know, from each time that you that you teach it. And uh, just like it's different each time you hear it. So uh, this, the title of this comes from a passage in the Gospels. Um, and I, that I think is is pretty profound, and it comes from a place where I'm doing a lot of healing as the as the pastor, as the the teacher, whatever, the leader of uh, OAM, uh, and as a father and a husband, uh, I am doing a lot of healing, and that's a good thing. Uh, and healing doesn't most of the time come immediately. It comes through a process of days and years, and it comes through actually dealing with issues and walking through things, through events and through uh, trauma and, you know, all those things, uh, coupled with prayer and coupled with Scripture, of course. And so uh, through this, I've, I'm, I'm unlearning some things, relearning some things, and I want you to come along for the, the ride. So hopefully some of this might be helpful for you. So even the title, What Do You Want?, um, can create some issues, and it has created some issues with me, and I think that's why I like the title and why I'm probably going to stick with it. Well, we're six six uh, parts in, so probably it probably, probably is the title. <laughs> it's no longer the working title. Um, what Do You Want? From certain backgrounds, um, that is almost an ungodly type of question. What do you want? Um, because we are, are, are programmed and taught that we can't trust what we want. Whatever we want is bound to be uh, arrogant, prideful, sinful, selfish, everything that is not of God. And it sows a, a massive distrust in our own selves, in who God created uh, as as image bearers of God, as children of God. And so we we have to, you know, deal with that baggage. And if that is some for you, then, you know, hopefully through this, we'll, we'll kind of get to understanding that is it is okay to have desires. It is okay it is it is a godly thing. It is a spiritual thing. It is it is part of our spiritual potential. It is part of our calling, our the potential of our calling and our anointing to have desires. You know, there's a, a passage that says, you know, that God will give you the desires of your heart. And you can read that kind of two ways. You can read it coming or going. You can read it one way as in, well, if you just empty yourself of yourself and surrender every part of you to God, then God will give you desires in your heart, right? His desires in your heart. 
Uh, and that's a fair way of reading it. And that's the way that I think it's been read for most of us for a long time. The other way of reading it, uh, or the other, let me say extreme, uh, of reading it would be God gives you the desires of your heart. So whatever your heart desires, take that as God given. Now, the truth is that the truth, wisdom is somewhere in the middle, right? Surely everything that we desire is not of God. And yet I, I fervently reject the idea that God created a being and, and had you born into this world with all of the potential and all beating all the odds of not being born saw fit to, to put you in this world. And he gave, he made you, he stitched you together in your mother's womb. Your DNA, you are one in a, an infinity of people. No one is like you. No one sees life like you do. No one processes events. No one has the insight and the sensitivities that you do. He gave you all of those things and created in you a nature. God created in you a nature. And this is, we're going to, I'm going to kind of slay some sacred cows. God created in you a nature. Again, if your programming is to think that your nature is sinful, then I want to reject that. Not that we're not sinful, not that we're, but the idea that we were born and the minute we breathe our first breath, Boom, all of a sudden we're a sinful being. The the church fathers, Christianity has has wrestled with this idea for a long time. That's why in many churches and most religions, or most uh, Christian religions at least, there's uh, such a thing as the age of accountability, right? Uh, even in Judaism, you don't, you know, you don't become a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah uh, until, you know, 13, 12, 13, 14 years old. Um, in Christianity, the age of accountability, depending on what denomination, whatever, was around the age of 12. Um, you know, in, in Catholicism, you have confirmation at a certain age after training and stuff. We understand that the idea of sinful nature is, while it may be some to it, it's not the, we still struggle with an absolute, the idea of absolute sinful nature. So that's what I'm doing is I'm just pushing against that. You were, God created you, and, and it depends on how you read Genesis 1. We've talked about this before. I've done a whole series on uh, the first few chapters of Genesis. I invite you to go check it out on our website or on YouTube. Uh, just as an alternate way, kind of just of reading Genesis. I'm not saying it's the right way. I'm not saying it's the only way. It's another way. And we have in Genesis 1, Bereshit 1, we have the creation of uh, light, right, or the separation, actually, of light and darkness, day and night. Um, we have, you know, the creation of birds and fish and, you know, crawly things and trees and seeds and grasses and all these things, all these populations of things. And then we come to day six, and we have the creation of Adam, which is, in Genesis 1, is not a name, Adam is a word for human or humanity. And I use those two very specifically because they make a big difference. If we believe that on day six of Genesis one, a human 
a human was created who in Genesis 2 we find out, surprise, it's this guy named Adam. Then on day six, a human or humans, Adam and Eve, were created. And then day seven, God rested, right? What does it say about the humans, the Adam, that were created on day one? It says they were created in God's image, Selim Elohim, kind of as God's idol. And they were created in God's likeness. So this is why this is important. Because if it was Adam and Eve that were created in God's image and in God's likeness, we find out in chapter 2 that they they fall, they sin, they're disloyal to that to God and that image-bearing vocation. And then if we go all the way over to Paul, he tells us that because Adam sinned, all men have sinned. So when we put those two things together, what we have is original sin in a nutshell. The alternate way of reading Genesis 1 is that the Adam created in Genesis 1 is not a man, a human, a person, but it is a population of people. I know this, we've talked about this before, but this goes against some people's whole, like, this is going to shatter your whole reality, right? And so if you know somebody that's really fundamentalist, don't tell them this because they'll hate you for it. But be, besides the idea that the word can it means can mean humanity, it's not a name. Adam is not a name. Adam is a it's a noun. It means humanity or human. And we have the whole theme of Genesis. The whole you know thing of Genesis is that God is creating populations. He's creating again fish, not two fish. Fishes, a bunch, whatever the plural for fish is. <laughs> Not two birds, but a sky full of birds. Let the, the sky be filled, right, with, with birds. Um, let the, they know the seas be filled with teeming, right? Let the earth teem with crawling things, right? And, and all, and so it's, it's populations of things. So if we were just reading, if we were good readers and we're just reading Genesis just as what it is, when it comes to hum- to God creating humans, we would read it as humanity. Well, then how does that change the story? Well, I think it has a profound change on the story because our entire nature then is not based on one man's disobedience. Our if if in if in Genesis one, Hashem created a population of people. Then where does Adam come from? Well, he comes from those people. As the appointed high priest, you could say, king, I think priest for sure, of God's sacred space, God's temple, God's garden, which is what the garden is. It's sacred space, a temple. And so what's happening in the garden, whenever, whenever things are happening in the garden, and, and that's the story we're being told in Genesis 2, what's happening to all the other people? Well, they're doing what people do. They're, they're raising kids and getting married and, you know, you know, they're, they're working and they're, they're just doing stuff. They're doing what people do. And what is, why is the, the scripture focused on Adam and Hava? Because they're priests. And the scripture is very concerned about priesthood because priesthood is the representation of Hashem to the people. And so if 
humanity as a whole was created Selim Elohim and in his likeness and his image and his likeness, that should be both comforting and really challenging, right? Because there's some people that you and I both know that they don't look very image of God or what we what we think image of God should look like. And you know what? The truth is that a lot of times you and I don't look very image of God either. And so we may think, well, like, what about the pedophile? What about the, you know, the axe murderer? What about the, you know, what all these things? Well, we all have our issues and our things. We're all ungodly. Some of ours are as dark or darker than some of those things. They're just in private and we don't ever talk about them. And nobody knows, so they never get called out. So we all have our deficiencies when it comes to bearing God's image and being God's image bearer. So the idea is that Hashem wants us to be, to fulfill that vocation of bearing his image. He wants us to to get to the place where we actually represent him in the earth, in his thought in his authority and in his reputation, his character, right? He wants us to get to doing that. That takes loyalty, which is the sin of Adam, disloyalty, Adam and Eve. And so, you know, when we think about our nature, God gave you a nature. He gave you a nature. Now, you have the ability to choose whether you believe that the nature you were given is image of God nature or whether it's sinful, disgusting, despicable uh, you know, filthy rags nature. This can be a monumental place of healing for a lot of people. It can be the first time that you actually start to believe there's such a thing as liking yourself, loving yourself, appreciating yourself, all the way to the point where you actually may be at, become at wonder with what God created when he created you. I know, crazy sauce, right? you may actually begin to marvel at who God created when he created you. I don't mean arrogant. Listen, I, the, the, the propensity for most of us to be like stand up, shaking our fist in God's face, arrogant is almost none. So don't worry about that false, you know, that false cardinal sin of some religions of, of arrogance and pride. You don't have it. You have been beat down so much. You have been, you have been beat into a you know into thinking that you are worthless that all your righteousness is filthy rags all these you've been you've been pulverized into thinking that you are absolutely nothing and so arrogance pride is not uh something i would be worried about enjoy swimming in maybe the shallow end but enjoy swimming in the waters of self appreciation and when you're appreci- when you start learning to appreciate you, who you are, who God created, your nature, then you can then appreciate God a little more because you see him as a good creator that created a good thing, not as some kind of off in the distance God who let you fall into these traps and let you be born into this world for struggle as a sinner, right? So you were given a nature, okay? It's important that we settle on that for a little bit and that we figure out 
as best we can for now. We'll get deeper into this as we go, but to figure out as best we can how we relate to our nature and start to appreciate what God, who God created when he created you, right? So God created you. He gave you a nature. He gave you, that's all hardwired into you, right? It's DNA. He gave you characteristics. But then he also saw fit to give you a family, parents, siblings, aunts and uncles. Maybe you were fortunate enough to have all those things. Maybe you weren't. Maybe you had parents, but maybe they did more harm than good. No matter what your situation is, whether you grew up in the most loving, most supportive, most you know healthy family dynamic, or whether it's the complete opposite of that, the truth is that you were born with a nature and then you were also given to some sort of nurture. And even a negative nurture, we're going to call nurture. In classical psychology, there's a huge, you know, discussion that's been going on forever is, you know, are we shaped as human beings by nature or by nurture? And I think that, you know, most people would agree that it's a little bit of both. But it's fascinating conversation and arguments to read. And so you were shaped, all right? You were given a nature. You were given a nurture. Either way, what that what that is. And then you have experienced life right you have you have had circumstance you've had relationships people make a profound impact on one another a profound impact and so you were you know you were around people you bumped into people in in school grade school and junior high and high school and college and they all shaped your life you know some to more lesser degrees but in different ways they had a profound impact on who you uh, were as a person and became as a person and all of these things all of these things lead up to the question that we asked at the beginning, what do you want? Again, you are not this loathsome scum of the earth that is not worthy of love or admiration or adoration or respect and honor. And so we read in John chapter 1, uh, we start in verse 35, in John chapter 1, verse 35, and this is from the uh, Tree of Life version. And it says, again the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, John the Baptist, and watched Yeshua walking by. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Yeshua. They left John and they followed Yeshua. And Yeshua turned around and saw them following. And he said to them, now every translation reads a little different, but here's the question. The tree of life says, what are you looking for? Some translations say, what do you want? And they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? Come and see, Yeshua told them. So they came and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him, and it was about the 10th hour. Now, what's really cool about this is that if you'll remember, uh, the, after Yeshua's resurrection, he meets two disciples on the road to Emmaus, right? 
and it, it's kind of it kind of replays this but backwards here in this this first chapter of John you have two disciples who are John's disciples Johanna Hamabiel the John the Baptist they're his disciples and they follow Yeshua and they're following after him and, and he turns around and goes what are you looking for what do you want man what a piercing question if if you had you know on Facebook and stuff sometimes they have these little memes where it's like an empty bench it's like, if you could sit with anybody in history, who would it be? And everybody goes, oh, Jesus, or whatever. If you were to sit able to, if you sure were to walk into your room or, or appear next to you in your car, if you're listening, driving, and look you square in the eyes and say, what are you looking for? What do you want? Could you answer that question? Could Can you formulate that thought? We'll talk more about it right after the break. All right, everybody, welcome back. So you are riding in your car or you are listening in your kitchen or, you, you know, you're doing clothes or you're at the office or you're in the gym or whatever. And all of a sudden you come face to face with Yeshua. And he looks you dead in the eyes and he says, what are you, what do you want? What are you, what are you looking for? See, I think it's such a profound question because for many of us, our whole lives we've been programmed to not not want anything of ourselves. We just want what God wants, right? I just want the will of God. I just want whatever. I talk to people all the time and go, hey, you know, especially younger people. I talked to a young man a couple weeks ago who I've known since he was a kid, and I haven't seen him in a long time. He's grown up since then. But he's a young man after God, man. He just, he's obsessed, you know, with prayer and study. He just, he loves God. And and he, he wants to he just I said, Man, what are you you know, what are you up to? What are you doing? Are you you know, you going to school, working, whatever? No, not going to school, not working. I said, Okay, well what are you doing? Oh, not much, man, just waiting, you know, waiting for God. And I was like, Okay. And and I was like, So what are you doing in the meantime? Oh, you know, just just waiting for God, man. Whatever God wants, you know. I had he said, you know, I had I had uh, I had pursued some interests, you know, in college and different things, and but you know, God put a stop to close that door, and that was you know a few years ago. So I'm just waiting, and I love His heart, you know, and I, and I love people with that heart. I've had that heart my whole life. I would rather sit still and not do anything because I, I'm not sure that God said go. I'd rather do that and spend years sitting still waiting for God's voice than to just go try random stuff. That's my nature. That's how I'm wired. However, that's not how God works. And that's not, it, it's all, listen, I'm all for being sensitive. Believe me, this is my, you know, this is a real young man I'm talking about, but this is also my story, which is why I think it, I think about it so much after our encounter. Because I have wasted years. I have wasted Okay, I won't say wasted because I get rebuked when I say that. I have spent years in the wrong places because I didn't, I prayed for God and said, God, tell me if it's time to go. And I didn't hear from God, whatever that means, whatever that looks like. I didn't hear go, go there forth or whatever. 
and 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 I'm gonna tell you what. Whenever you whenever you stay put and refuse to move until God says so, sometimes that can actually cause a lot more damage than do good as you intended it to. Unpopular opinion. But we have been programmed to just want what God wants. Well, you know what God wants? God wants you to be a decent human being. He wants you to love him. He wants you to worship him and acknowledge him as Adonai Echad, Adonai alone. He wants you to be loyal to him. He wants you to serve him. He wants you to to be a decent human being. He wants you to love other people and take care of those that are less fortunate. That's what God wants. You know, I spent a long time as a youth pastor. And the question I got more than any other question was, how do I know what's God's will for my life? And I thought, you know, when I, you know, when I finally moved from youth pastoring and transitioned into, you know, pastoring adults and stuff, I thought, well, that's one question I'm not going to ever have to worry about. And yet, it seems to be that the biggest question on a lot of adults' minds, I'm talking 20, 30, 40, 50 year olds, is how do I know what's God's will for my life? Here's God's will. Love him, be faithful to him and loyal to him at whatever capacity that is in your life right now. If you're listening to this and you have friends that are in, in Sunday church, they're Baptist, Lutheran, Episcopalian, whatever, Seventh-day Adventist, Catholic, I don't care, whatever, or you have friends that are Jewish and you would love nothing more than for them to know Messiah, then you know what? God has accounted to every man, appointed to every man, a measure of faith. You're not at the end of your journey, neither are they. Love God and be loyal to him at where your capacity is. That's what he wants. And then love other people, which means treat them with respect, with dignity, with honor, with integrity. Be a person of good character. Before God and before other people. That's the story over and over and over. What is the greatest commandment? Love Adonai your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Ve'ahavta. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha v'chol avavcha v'chol nafshecha v'chol meldecha. That's the ve'ahavta, right? And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's Leviticus 19. So that's the Torah. The Torah is how to love God and how to love people. Yeshua summed it up in two. But you know what the gospel also says about Yeshua? It said he grew in knowledge and wisdom and stature with God and man. God and man. God and It's always God and man. Period. That's what God expects of you. What about the specifics and the details and the particulars of God's will for your life? Back to the first segment where we talked about the desires of your heart. Find something to put your hands on. Put your hands on and do it. And in the doing, if it's not where you're supposed to be, you'll figure it out. If you're miserable doing something, stop doing it and start doing something else. But what if God's trying to teach me something? Then pray and ask God to try to teach you something. Seek counsel from people that know you and love you. And if you're miserable and everybody goes, dude, I have no idea, then do something else. And you know what? If God really wanted to teach you something, that first thing, the thing he wanted to teach you will show up again. In the new thing. 
And if you're miserable doing that, then you know what? Do something else. And if God is really trying to teach you something, it will continue to show up over and over and over until if you're dense like me, you go, hey, maybe I should stop running and try to figure out what God's trying to teach me. But this sitting idle and sitting still and wringing our hands over what is God's will, guys, is not the way to do it. It's not it's not the right way to do it. What do you want? What are you looking for? We're all looking for something. And and, and in this series and in this this last several, you know, weeks that we've been talking, I'm not hearing Sunday school answers. And what I mean by Sunday school answers, you know, like the answer to every question about the Bible is Jesus. No, that's not going to cut it. No, (laughs) you know, no, no. So the answer to what do you want is not God's will. You can't answer that. You can't answer God's will, what God wants to follow Jesus. You can't answer any of those things. What do you want, right? A little experiment. List three, list your top three passions and desires and things that you want, things that you're looking for in life. And they, they cannot be God wants or what, you know, God's will or, you know, what Yeshua wants. They can't be where the spirit leads. No, no, none of that. (laughs) No, 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 no. I just want to be where the spirit is. No, wrong answer. Because we're trying to get, we're trying to, to not like that attitude is bad. That attitude is not bad. That attitude is the attitude to have, complete and total submission. However, however, we have to have a balance between that's what I want. Now, how do I go get it? Because if you followed God for any amount of time, you know that most of the blessing, the, the big capital B blessing, doesn't come just, just fall from heaven. Just one day you just get the blessing. How does the blessing come? It comes through a lot of hard work and strife and trial and test and patience, right? And 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 doing this hard work is project numero uno. If you believed that your calling, that your reason for being was really as important as you say it is. In other words, if you really believed you were the image of Hashem. You were, you know, made in the image of Hashem, part of the image of Hashem. If you really believe that, then then why don't we do the most intensive work on ourselves? We work on everything else. We work on organizing our homes and keeping our vehicles clean. We work on raising our kids. We work at work. We work on, you know, being the best employee or the best boss or the best coworker. We work on being the best sibling, best son, best daughter, mother, father, spouse, preacher, whatever. We work on being the best, all these things. How much do we work on us, on being the best you? How, do you, how, many, how much do you work on being the best you? And so I'm going to ask you to do some things during this series that are going to be highly uncomfortable. Highly, highly uncomfortable. We just kind of talked about the first one. Make a list of the things you are looking for in life. What do you want? What do you desire? And they can't be anything that God, quote unquote, well, whatever God wants, right? What are you looking for? What I want to focus on is the purpose, the the purpose and the desire to become whatever it is you feel like you're supposed to become. And, you know, the beautiful thing about this is that I can't tell you that. I can't, well, what should I desire? No, it doesn't work that way. I tell this little anecdote. I told it a, uh, last week, a couple of weeks ago, whatever, about, you know, uh, 
I found out about personality types, you know, when I was in high school or so. And um, back then, you know, in the mid-90s, there was only a few different personality tests out. So as I have gone through different, you know, jobs, positions, different places, ministries, whatever, I've taken, I don't know, 10, 12, maybe 15 personality tests. And just about every one of them comes out with different results. They come out with different results. Well, you're a melancholy choleric, or you're a this, that, or you're a N double T, whatever the letters are. I don't know. I just, I stopped paying attention to them because they always come out differently. And I, and I know talking to people, they go like, mine are always bang on the same. And I think that's fascinating. I had a conversation with somebody one time and I, I was, they were like, you should take a personality test. You know, we, you know, because I was trying to figure out what God's will for my life was. And I heard some preacher or some evangelist or some somebody say, well, you're, 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 the call of God will fit your personality. I thought, well, cool. I, if I can figure out my personality, we'll go, there's a pile of personality exams. Good. Let me take one of those. It'll tell me what God's calling is for my life. <laughs> oh, man. And so I would take these personality tests and they'd always be different. I'm like, well, how? I'm trying to figure out God's will, man. Come on. <laughs> help me out. And I was talking to someone one time, and they said, you know, your your personality tests always come out differently because you are you mask so well. And I was like, well, thank you. And they're like, it's not a compliment. <laughs> it's not a compliment. Uh, see, when I take a personality, uh, personality you know, profile thing, um, I, it's very, very hard for me to answer honestly because I second-guess myself. And you're like, well, what would you do in this situation? And what runs through my head is, well, I think the best thing would be this. And I would probably do that on a good day. But on a bad day, I would do the least good thing or the lesser good thing. And so, and I just think way too much about it. And I'm looking for the right answer to the personality quiz. Because in my mind, there is a right answer. In my mind, there's a right personality that I sh- that everybody should be, or that I should be, rather. Um, and that's usually not the one that I am, right? So, uh, you know, these personalities, you know, it's 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 great, but but it drives this point home. And again, you may take personality tests and get the same thing over and over, but it drives home this the idea of this question: What do you even know how to? Do you even know how to sort through all of your? emotions and opinions and ideas and thoughts to decide what you want are you in the we're not in the practice we're not in the practice we're in the practice of going whatever god's will is which is good but that doesn't get the job done because ultimately god's will is enacted through people who have a passion and desire to grab a hold of something and make it kingdom right make it submitted submitted to hashem so Yeshua asks these disciples, what are you guys looking for? What do you want? And basically they said, "Just we just want to hang out with you. We just want to be with you, right? And you say, well, yeah, we see that's the answer. We just want to hang out with Yeshua. We just want to be submitted to him. Well, but see, they they went to where he was staying and they were taught, right? They were taught. They fellowship. They spent time. They were They were there. And then Yeshua has this, you know, crazy thing that he does. Later on in the Gospels, where he sends his disciples out to do stuff, <laughs> right? So, so it's a balance. It's it's yes and. It's d all of the above. It's both. The point of this conversation and and for me being so 
uh, kind of tilted to one way and against seemingly against one way. I'm not a, I'm not against people wanting God's will. I'm not a, I'm not against that. What I'm what I'm trying to get through is that we're just we've been so trained in that attitude. We have not practiced the other attitudes of a balanced life where we say, yes, I want God's will. And I believe that whatever I'm doing right now, if it is. You know, if it is honest and and right, and I've I've done my praying and I've done my you know I've done my due diligence, I believe I have to believe what I'm doing right now is God's will. I don't know I don't know anymore that God has a lot of specifics for everybody, that everybody should be doing one exact thing at every moment of the day, and that's God's will. I don't I don't believe that. I used to believe that, and that's a miserable miserable way to live. I don't believe that anymore. I really don't know that God really cares a whole lot about the details of every day. Again, what is his will? Love him, be loyal to him, serve him, worship him, make his name great, and then be good to other people. Be good to, be good to yourself, and then be good to other people. Love other love others as you love yourself. So there's a, there's a tripartite uh, structure there. Loving God, loving yourself, loving, loving other people. And the loving ourselves is the part we go, oh, yeah, well, I love the Jesus in me. No, 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 right? Yes, that's true, but stop it. Stop stop faking it. Stop going to the easy answers. Well, I love what God is doing in me. No. I mean, yes, but stop. That's a way to, that's a, that's a way to just, you know, skim over actually liking who you are who God created. So what do you want? I'm I'm reading a book right now that uh I I am kind of promoting on Shabbat uh called Atomic Habits. The author is James Clear. I know absolutely nothing about James Clear. I don't know if he's a believer, an atheist, uh a Satan worshiper, I have no idea. No idea anything about him. Don't know if he's Jewish or Christian or nothing or whatever. I have no clue. But this book uh, is one of those that you go, yep, 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 yep. This guy has found, he's found something. He's found something significant. And so I would encourage you to grab the book. Uh, it's, I think most, most stores carry it. Even our local Walmart carries it. It's about 20 25 bucks. Sometimes it goes on sale. Um, and you can pick it up. It's fantastic. You will not be able to put it down once you start reading it, I believe, uh, it's, it's great. And, and I said this a few weeks ago, I think one of the beautiful things about what we're, uh, what we're trying to do and trying to be here at OAM is that we've encouraged everybody to buy a Sidur, right? Uh, the, the Koran, uh, Shalem Sidur, uh, which is a, you know, a Jewish prayer book. But I'm also today telling you to get this book called Atomic Habits by this guy named James Clear, who I know nothing about. Again, it could be agnostic. Atheist, I have no idea. Don't care. But I think, you know, it's important to when when there's good stuff out there, it's important no matter where it comes from to take hold of it. Because Hashem, again, if we're all created in Hashem's image, if humanity, the population of humanity is created in Hashem's image, we all have something to contribute and even though we don't know sometimes it comes from Hashem or we don't attribute it to Him, it's it's still His. We believe that God is the God over all the earth, right? All creation. Do we believe that? Well, we say we believe that. But do we believe that when it comes to things like this? You know, might be a, a good thing to think about. 
So we we have we show what we want. Um we show what we want and who we want to become. How do we get there? If we don't know what we want and how we want to become, how how do we get there? So this whole series and this whole discussion is really about observance. It's really about not being so cerebral or so emotional or so whatever about our destiny, about who we're supposed to be, but it is to to make it real and to not just pray for it to be a reality, whoever we want to be or whatever we're looking for or what we want, not just to pray that it's a reality, but to make it a reality through the creative attribute that we have as children of God, as sons and daughters of God. We have the creative ability to make things happen. Yes, good and bad. But here's, again, where I'm going to say, you know, the, 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 the potential for most of us to take our creative potential and destroy things with is really low. Yeah, there are some people out there that absolutely do that. Um, but if, if you have a heart for God and you're, you know, you, you've been submitted to God, you, that potential is low. We want to take that potential and, and not, and stop just praying for God's will, but make it happen. Force it into existence. Um, not out of his timing, but I, but does God, does God ever go like, hey, um, I want you to be more like me, just not right now. I, I want you to, I want you to develop more patience, just not, not right now. I want you to be more loving, just not right now. Um, you need to be more kind, right? Just, just not right now. No, God doesn't, you don't have to pray like, well, God, when can I start, you know, learning patience? Now, start learning it now, right? Be impatient and start learning patience. Um, when can I learn to be more kind? Now, do it now, right? Don't wait, do it now. So what we're going to, we're going to talk about through this series is, um, I have a lot of different words for it, but, um, we're going to talk about observance, how observance will create the 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 person that you're whatever you identify as what you're looking for or what you want how not just prayer and not just hoping that it happens and and believing that it will happen but actually creating it and how that happens is through observance and so we talk about some synonyms for observance may not be a good word for you you may be like I'm not sure what that means so uh, observance is one word. Um, obedience is one word. Oh, but obedience to what? Well, we'll talk about that as we go along. Um, in the Hebrew world, in the Jewish world, halakha, if you know that word, halakha, how you walk, right? The walking. The walking creates an identity. It creates a who you're, who you're going to be. And whichever way you're walking, that's the person you're creating, Right? We tell our kids this all the time. If you hang around bad people, you're going to do bad things. You're going to become a bad person, right? Watch the company you keep, right? But how you walk is the direction you're going. Another word is uh, faithfulness. What you're faithful to will will create whatever you, you know, whatever it, it is. Um, but some other words that I think are really helpful that are not religious so much or not don't have such a religious connotation uh, another word for observance would be habits, um, thus the book Atomic Habits. 
um, whatever your 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 habits are, that's what your habits can come out of who you are naturally. I'm naturally wired like this, so the these tend to be my you know my habitual cycles and the things that are are habitual for me. But habits can also you can form new habits by by will, and they will change who you're on the inside. We'll talk about that next week. Another word that is helpful is uh, systems. What systems you put in place will help you to either achieve what you want and who you want to be for God or not. So the systems. So in my mind, and the way I think I'm thinking this through as I'm teaching it, as I'm living it in my own life, observance, obedience, uh, halakha, faithfulness, habits, systems, these all are the same thing. They're all trying to... Uh, convey the same idea, right? And 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 I really believe I am not a ritual person. Monotony drives me crazy. Schedules drive me crazy. I am not that kind of person. And I can hear what some of you guys are saying because I said it too. Yeah, but ritual quenches the the fluidity of the spirit, right? The moving of the spirit. Um, but many of you will know if I've heard this before. If you if you've never done it, um. The reason why you're be why you're broke, maybe, is because you don't have a budget. Yeah, but a budget quenches my ability to be able to spend money when I want to. Exactly. So when you have a budget, you actually you actually have more money to spend when you want to. And it's the same thing with ritual and observance and systems. As we put them in place, it doesn't quench the spirit. It gives us a foundation so that Hashem can speak and we can be more able to move with confidence and with passion where he wants us to be all right guys have a great rest of the week we'll talk to you later until then shalom shalom